Blog Talk Radio. Have you forgotten that once we were brought here, we were robbed of our name, robbed of our language. We lost our religion, our culture, our God. And many of us, by the way we act, we even lost our minds. Move! What? How come you got your brothers up on the wall? Man, ass style, right? Hey, hey, style, how come you got your brothers up on the wall here? You want brothers on the wall? Get your own place, you can do what you want to do. That motherfucker took his destiny in his own hand. I got more control over your life than you do. I'm letting you breathe, ain't I? In your heart, you know I'm right. If you want respect, you gotta earn it. You gotta be ready to go down, stand up, and die for that shit. Something larger than yourself has worked its way through you. Now, to paraphrase Khalil Gibran's notion about children, the creative process, creativity comes through you, but not from you. Though it is with you, it belongs not to you. I'm the founder of 23 different radical leftist organizations. What do you know about my vision? My vision would turn your world upside down, tear us under your illusions, and send the sanctuary of your own ignorance crashing down around you. Now ask yourself, are you really ready to see that vision? This is our thing. They don't want to roll with it, we'll roll right over. This is the fruit of our hard work. The belief in the entrepreneurial spirit. The new American dream. Gentrification. What happens when the property value of a certain area is brought down? Huh? You listening? Yeah. They can buy the land at a lower price, then they move all the people out, raise the property value, and sell it at a profit. And what we need to do is we need to keep everything in our neighborhood, everything, black. Everything starts from now. We all go down unless we stay together. Ain't no one man above the crew. You know that shit. All power to the people, all power to the people. It's People's Black Panther Party Podcast Radio. And today, we're going to continue and pick up from where we left off with the Nguzi Saba. Our national chairman is Brother Yanga Nkrumah, National Director of Operations, Sister Seven Khadija. I'm Brother Wall, along with the Panther 48 panel, Brother E and Brother Syke. Um, guests, if you want to call in, in case you're listening to this over the airwaves or the internet airwaves, you can call dial in at 323-870-4191, and then you can press 1 to be placed into the queue, and at, and at some point when we're ready to engage with the uh, community, you can jump right in the conversation. Again, that phone number to call in is 323-870-4191. Press one to be placed into the things I want to touch on before 
we jump right in and do the Saba is the fact that as Panthers, we like to always make sure our people understand that there is a process in which things must take place. One way that we use, one of the methods that we use to help us address that process is what we call the three Ds. And this is pretty much across the board with most form Panther formations. And that's define, develop, and defend. By tackling and addressing whatever situations you are coming in, with that in mind, it helps you to build a formalized process so that you can make sure that you're on point in terms of how you approach something. And understanding that and overstanding that as Panthers, it is the utmost importance that the community grasp the concept of first defining what it is that you're dealing with, what it is you're engaging, what it is that you're taking on, whatever that task may be. Now, mind you, when we say define that task, first and foremost, that doesn't always mean that we go to the Webster's de- definition of what uh, um, something means. But you have to yourself be able to relate to what that definition is. So when you are defining something, you have to define it in a perspective that it empowers you. If that definition does not empower you, if that definition does not bring you any, any bit closer to, to achieving your objective, your goal, then you have to understand, overstand that that definition is, is something that's being defined for you the same way your destiny is, can be defined for you if your oppressor wants to maintain a, a grip of oppression over you. So overstand the fact that for something to be defined, the idea behind that is that who defines that process controls that process. So people, we have to be the definers of our processes. So in saying that, Again, the three Ds, the first step, define. Define what you're dealing with. Define what's in the best interest of our people. Number two to that would be to develop. And as we develop it, from that standpoint, now that I've defined it, now I can develop it. That means you map out a roadmap. You establish a contingent roadmap to make sure you are achieving your goals in, in, a, in a process or a pattern. And in doing so, as you develop something, there's always a part, a point within a development to where you want to be able to go back in and refine your development. There's always a part within your development to where you want to deal with calibration, whether we're dealing with ongoing operations or we're dealing with projects which have a, which have a set starting end date. There's always calibration. There's always quality control. You can never forget that. So even when we're approaching something from, a, from the aspect of just learning a new skill, learning a new way to go about dealing with something, giving yourself a, a new goal to accomplish. You must maintain a concept of refinement, a concept of calibrating to make sure that your approach maintains an efficiency to it so that you can have the best chances possible to achieve what it is you're, you're trying to get at. So that would be the, the development. And then the last one would be being able to defend it. And our defender doesn't always and, and most often does not mean physically defend, but what it means is that there's parameters within place within how you define something, how you develop something to be able to maintain that level of consistency, maintain that that operation stays in place. Make sure that operation has the parameters, has the markers to be able to continue that operation and What's even the most important on this, people, and this is where, we, where we, we have to get to, is that that operation can continue and thrive without you. That's the key. The key is if I have made a significant impact 
on the position, on my people, on whatever it is my task is, whatever I'm doing, then I've created a, a, an ability for this for this, to, this cycle to continue when I'm not around or the cycle continue beyond my direct action all the time. That's when you know that's when you know you're giving back into something. That's when you know you establish something to the point of where the community is now able to seize and take over this and you can cookie cut it and you can go areas with this or you can apply this to different fields of science. So that would be the whole point of being able to defend it to where you have the right things in place to make sure that this can sustain itself. So defending something also has to do with the sustainability of it, the ability for it to continue to thrive, grow, regenerate, develop, and go on from there. So it's able to constantly go back into the process. And with that being said, I wanted to set that stage up as we continue dealing with things from the standpoint of getting into principles. Because with this being the principles that we're going into the Nguzu Saba, in these hard times that we're faced with, it is principles, people, that can get us through this, principles. So with the spirit of that, let me turn the floor over to Brother E. All right. Appreciate it, bro. <clears throat> um, I wanted to touch back real quick just on for um, – I'll give a brief summarization summary of of the principles that we already covered because we went through five of them on the previous show. Um, but I also wanted to reiterate that anybody that may be familiar with quanta and the principles and the order of them and, and all um, may notice that we're not listing them in that particular order uh, because years ago it was uh, collectively realized that they could be, or though they were profound in and of themselves, they could be arranged in a way that would lend them better to an actual process, not just the recognition of the principles, the ideas, the values of your traditional African communities, but actually lend themselves to the rebuilding of those communities if they were arranged in a particular way or other ways and um, used as a process for individuals and for communities to build upon. So, having said that, running down uh, the principles um, real briefly that we've already gone through, uh, beginning with Imani, which is faith. And again, this is not your religion. We don't really get into folks' religion. We learned that lesson a long time ago. We may discuss religion in terms of history and uh, science and that sort of thing, but we're not talking about your faith, whether you be, you know, Muslim, Christian, Yoruba, or, you know, any other ideology. That's ultimately your business. What we're looking at is faith in the sense that of, of loyalty, of, of confidence, that, that sense of uh, ability once you are familiar with a subject. One of, one of the reasons that we have issues, in, or the, the main reason, uh, Malcolm told us straight out, that we don't know the truth. Um, in fact, the Bible says it, that the truth that you know will make you free. But we don't know the truth of our history and our dealings with the European. We don't know our history in terms of just us, where we were, what it looks like when we're free. So we equate being able to go to the mall and not being on a, in a shelter-in-place situation. We equate that, because I can walk down the street maybe, as being free. We don't have a picture of what it is 
freedom means to us. We don't know how to think like black people. We think, uh, and even with the language that somebody else has given us, when those terms and that language define things in somebody else's terms and somebody else's reality. So first developing a sense of confidence and, and, and loyalty to uh, yourself and your community is essentially the first step, and that's where the faith comes in, having that history, no longer having lost our minds, our, our, our ways, our religion, uh, regaining those and taking them back so that we begin to build our faith. The second one was uh, Kuji Jagalia, self-determination. And this is what I like to call the, the, the bless you uh, principle. Um, if you ever, and I used to do this uh, a couple of jobs, but I do it with people in general. When you sneeze, the difficult response is, bless you. When I sneeze and someone says, bless you, the expected response is, thank you, or some type of recognition. I don't give that response. And you get a few different uh, 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 responses from the other person because of that. I've had people get mad because I wouldn't say thank you. I've had people question it. I've had people just say nothing. But essentially, if someone asks me, why don't you say thank you, I tell them it's because I'm not superstitious. And people's response is typically where you're supposed to say it because that's what you do. We have no idea of why it is we really say it. We're just operating off of what it is we've been told to do. We're not making a conscious decision, okay, he did this, so I'm going to do this because of this. We're not determining what it is we do. We're just operating off of what it is we've been programmed to do. So something just as simple as a sneeze and not responding the way people expect you to can be the foundation for an entire example of what it is uh, we go through or the, 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 the mindset and, and, and where we're operating from in this reality. So self-determination, and that's just a really rinky-dink, you know, uh, uh, inconsequential, you know, meaningless type of uh, scenario. But it becomes very meaningful uh, when it's applied, when the idea is applied to the bigger picture. We as a community do not determine our own destiny. We, do not, we are not determining uh, where we go or what we do. We're simply operating off of the cause and effect, the, the, the stimulus that's being placed in front of us. Um, brother, a couple of weeks, a week or two ago, uh, well, actually, I don't know when it actually happened. I know when the video came to light, this dude was in a car being chased by the police, and some of you may have heard this. Dude was in his car being chased by the police, and he was FaceTiming it. And he ended up getting shot by the police. So the knee-jerk reaction, of course, is, oh, the police are wrong, blah, 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 blah. You know, come to find out with some of the details, this dude was not, not really on the up and up in what it was he was doing that he may have actually fired at the police, that he was at the very least making fun of the situation as he drove in the car, you know, and, and, and making light and quips of it and, and whatnot. But the knee-jerk reaction from the community tends to be, oh, they're wrong, and I'm not saying they were right. I'll never defend the police. But the idea is we just react to that stimulus. So all the oppressor has to do is put a fire over here, we run over there, put a fire over there, we run over there. There's no determination, no evaluation of what's going on, um, we're just reacting. We're puppets. We're, we're in very primal mindset. Um, the next principle is Nia or purpose. Nia is, is what drives us. Nia is what gives our, our life meaning. Nia is what determines uh, or helps us determine what it is we do going forward. Um, people 
or uh, humanity period when it has when it feels that it has no purpose it has no reason will do pretty much anything it will begin to just procreate for the sake of procreating it will just sit around and duplicate and duplicate essentially like a virus or, or like a cancer and with with no clear objective and thereby opening itself up to all types of social ills that go along with that mental illness and, and physical illness and all the things that come behind that um, Kuumba, creativity. When I was an art student, oh, so long ago, years and years ago, high school and, and, and junior college, I started to notice that when I read certain things or when I read period and started studying, especially in terms of history, I started getting all of these pictures in my head. I had to draw. I had to let them out. I had to write, you know, prose or poetry or something. There was just this influx of ideas and, 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 and ways and things I had to express. And that's ultimately what creativity is, is an expression of that purpose. So when, as I was reading, I was gaining a sense of purpose, a sense of, of direction. And because of that, this natural creativity that we all have and, and, and the creativity that was in me caused me to move into the direction of, of painting and, and drawing and, and doing all of these sorts of, sorts of things. So creativity is essentially your expression of what it is, your, your purpose and what it is you've determined to do, uh, in this case, in terms of the community and our people as a whole. Ujima, collective work and responsibility. Um, and it, it, it seems to me that, the, at least from where I'm sitting, that the further along these go, the simpler they actually are. We make them much more complex and convoluted in trying to explain and over-explain, but really, fundamentally, they're real basic. Collective work and responsibility means we work together. Some folks like to call a, 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 a group of people that like to do that socialists. That's from people who don't understand what socialism is or what capitalism or democracy or any of these things are. But African communalism is actually a, a way of life that's still deeply ingrained within us. We still, and I don't, I don't speak for a cycle war, but I have the, the sense that being a part of the party over the years, especially when we were in our younger days and our heyday, so to speak, when we was out there mixing it up, that there was a certain satisfaction that came from simply doing some of the work with some of the other brothers and sisters involved, not whether or not we succeeded or didn't succeed, whatever it is we were attempting to do, but the fact that we were collectively coming together and putting some work together was an extremely satisfying sensation. You know, that, that, that there's something larger than us that has bound us together, guided us in a particular direction, and we're feeding into that and feeding off of that. And, and, and that's something that's just an integral part of the African experience. It's what we are. It's who we are. And the, the, the collective work and, and the responsibility takes on a life of its own the more that we're able to create ways for us. If we're looking to reach a certain objective and we come up with plans and ideas and then implement those, it's going to naturally for us as Africans involve other Africans, other people to pull in and put together and move forward. And so, again, those are the, the five that we made it through, the five principles, the first five. Um, and I'm going to ask the last principle that we're going to discuss is unity. 
unity, again, these get so much simpler as we go along. Um, unity, I guess, stating what it is, is extremely simple, extremely basic. It's more complicated in its application, of course, because it's a combination of everything that we've talked to and we'll talk about tonight up to this point. But in the spirit of the idea of unity and oneness and all of the other principles, that's the point that I really want to invite uh, sisters and brothers that are listening to press the one to, 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 to come on the mic and express something, because this is not about me, war sites, not about the Panther 48 or the Black Panther Party, any of that. This is about the masses of the people, and we have to, at the very least, begin a dialogue amongst us so that we can nurture those, those, those principles and those ideas and, and, and all of those things in order for us to get out of the situation that we're in, a situation that, particularly in the coming few months, is going to get quite a bit worse. Um, so, you know, if you think you've seen oppression, y'all ain't seen nothing yet. Um, so, but moving on. So, so at the point of, of uh, Umoja, once it's been laid out and everything, please we'll invite everybody to, to, to chime in and just go in and say what you have to say about it. So the first principle we're actively diving into is going to be Ujama of uh, cooperative economics. Um, again, giving a definition of what economics is, um, according to Webster's, it's a social science concerned with the production, um, distribution, and consumption of goods and services. Bottom line, again, everybody and everything seems to want to make everything so much more convoluted and so much more um, difficult than it is as far as understanding the principle. Cooperative economics is a natural outgrowth of, of collective work and responsibility. <clears throat> economics, simply stated, is taking what you have and using it to address what you need. You know, if people are hungry, you need a place to live, all of that, looking at what money you've got or what resources, whatever those are, if you have a hammer and some, some wood and some nails and building a house, taking those resources and addressing what it is you need to, to, to survive, to, see, to succeed, to move forward. As I said, it's a natural outgrowth of a communal existence. It's a natural outgrowth of sisters and brothers working together. If, in, in, in European terms, it, it's more or less a bartering system. It's you know how to bake bread, and I know how to change the oil on the car. I change the oil on your car for a certain, for a certain number of loaves of bread. And that's the way we circulate and um, apply um, uh, the idea of, of, uh, of a cooperative economics. It takes, especially in this system, because we're operating with this uh, fiat money, this fake money, this pretend money, money that's not even money, simply because it's proven out, simply because for years they've talked about, and they being the, the establishment, Republicans, Democrats, one of the things, the talking points, especially with it being a, uh, an election year, a presidential election year, is the idea of free health care and, and free uh, college tuition. One of the things that uh, folks that are opposed to it because they see it as socialist, one of the things they like to throw up is, is, <clears throat> is this idea that um, uh, there's, they like to say, where are you going to get the money to pay for all of that? You know, the U.S., you, you, we're too far in debt. We can't afford to pay for everybody's, you know, health care and, and school and all of that. Okay. But lo and behold, coronavirus hit. 
all of a sudden, up pops this this magical, you know, one, two, three. They're talking about another three or four trillion dollars. Where the hell that come from? You know, you didn't have money for the free health care to pay for everybody, but all of a sudden you've got an extra $500 billion laying around, you know, uh, $50 billion for, for the, the airline industry, another $140 billion for the hotel industry and, and all of that. Um, um, all of a sudden you've got the money to save these businesses. So this, this, this money that's being bantered around, is being thrown around in people's bank accounts is just this, Fiat currency. It's fake. Fiat means fake. It's fake uh, currency. It's fake currency. It's fake money that that folks are using. This absolute. And anybody that knows any of the basics about economics, supply and demand, is that the lower the supply, or the lower the the less of a thing that there is, the greater its value. The more of a thing it is there is, the more of that thing there is, the less its value. So the more and more money you place into circulation, the less value each of those dollars has. So then you kick in inflation, which causes prices to go up, which means that $15 an hour uh, 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 new minimum wage that they tossed out there is now only $7 an hour in reality as far as purchasing power because now everything is doubled in price because now the value of your dollar is half of what it was. Your $20 an hour job is now is the new $10 an hour job because it, it don't mean nothing anymore. You know, um, African communalism, collective or cooperative economics, is is uh, is to the African what capitalism is to the European. Uh, African communalism, communalism period, is about the collective. It's about taking that fish and the loaves of bread and feeding the masses. Whereas capitalism is about the individual doing whatever the individual has to do in order for the individual to amass power and, and money and move up and be, quote, unquote, successful. Um, it's their mindset. It's not ours. It never has been. And that's one of the reasons we have so many issues in our communities because we're trying to do mental cartwheels and gymnastics to, to, to fit in to this system that is completely antithetical to who it is we are. Um, and I'm going to say this a little bit, and I know, Spike, this is like your subject, so I'm going to turn it over and let you uh, have at it. But I wanted to, 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 to put this out in terms of the second wave. And this is something I know you, Spike, and War, I almost guarantee y'all don't know nothing, ain't heard nothing about what it is I'm about to say. But 1968. It was a pandemic that killed between one and four million people globally. Lo and behold, it was as they call it H5N2 or something. It was another one from from China. It was one in '57 that was from China. Uh, what China got going on? But it seems like every every time <laughs> some flu strain is coming out of there. But in 1968, in the spring or so, about this time. This pandemic started busting out across this country and across the world. People were, were dying. And then it kind of petered off. And then around November, you had this quote-unquote second wave that came through. It killed a whole bunch more people. In between the spring and November, in between the first wave and the second wave of that virus, there was this thing that went on called Woodstock. 
So, and I don't know if y'all are familiar with Woodstock, but it was basically a whole bunch of white people rolling around in the mud, getting high, having sex, and listening to some really good music. It's what it was. But it was the complete opposite of what you would do if you were trying to address, you know, a, a sickness, a communi- communally transmitted uh, sickness. There was no social distancing. There were no face masks. There was nobody getting arrested in, in, in the subway for not wearing a face mask in front of the kids. None of that. But now, these years later, we have a similar scenario going on. Again, it's happened several, several, several times before. But by the government is what is actually going to be the second wave, in my opinion, as we continue to move forward with, you know, cities and states opening up and the divide growing even more stark. It's no longer Republican and Democrat. It's no longer even just black and white, you've got the mask wearers versus the non-mask wearers actually coming to blows. People in restaurants getting manhandled and tossed out because they're not wearing masks. So the second wave is going to be more toward, in my opinion, again, toward a greater sense of economic and military, military uh, lockdown as things begin to continue to unravel in the name of saving the economy. There will be more and more companies receiving bailouts. You know, not Neiman Marcus, they filed for bankruptcy. J.C. Penney filed for bankruptcy. J. Crew, Gold Jim filed for bankruptcy. But as 30-some-odd million citizens, people, filed for unemployment, the same day, the same time, the same week, the same time span, Jeff Bezos made an extra $35 billion. The stock market continued to set, you know, upward trends and gain money because what's happening is more and more the resources are being pulled at the top. And those that are in the middle, the so-called middle class, whatever that is, is being shrunk more and more. So that you have a situation where the hotel industry, when it asked for its bailout, said that um, some 11 or 12 million people would lose their jobs if they didn't get a bailout. But don't worry, they said, it's not going to affect the corporate level. Now, mind you, the corporate level means people that have meetings, send emails, and make phone calls. And, boy, I know you know that better than any of us because you're sitting right there on the lip, on the cusp of corporate America watching a lot of that go on. But you have companies that are basically saying, we can operate without most of the people downstream, without most of the little people, without you and me, we can still operate. But how do you have a company that has nobody making or performing a service? All you have is the corporate head. And that simply means that the corporate head has developed a way to get the money directly from the government, i.e. bailouts, which happen more and more and more these days, even for companies that don't pay taxes and aren't based in the U.S., you have a situation where these corporations are able to go directly to the the federal government, pull this money out of nowhere while we sit and collect, you know, a stimulus check or UBI or whatever it is and are left to deal with the, 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 the pieces, you know, forced into a situation where we either uh, commit crimes to survive, or we or we come up with another way 
of economics. We come up with another way to take what we have and address what we need because our access to income is dwindling. I'm going to give you a real quick headline, and it's all over to you, site. In uh, December of 2017, the Boston Globe headline, the headline on the Boston Globe newspaper, it's a huge publication, or it used to be. It's getting beat up like all the others. But the, the Boston Globe headline was, quote, the median net worth of black Bostonians really is $8. That was 2017, $8. Your net worth, and it can't be that much different in any other city in this country, but your net value, what you, the money you have on hand minus the bills that you got to pay, basically, is $8. That's your worth, your value, what, what you have in your pocket to address all of your needs. So at some point, there's going to be a breaking point, whether it's the, we get to the point where it's ending up like it is in Venezuela right now, or some of these other countries that are really having hard because we ain't seen hard yet. So we either wait for that to happen, or you have to carry around, literally in Venezuela, they have to carry around backpacks full of money, if they have the money, full of money, just to go get a loaf of bread. Because the loaf of bread costs so much, you can't pull out you know, a few dollars from your, your pocket. What it costs is a backpack full of money to get a loaf of bread. That's a reality for Venezuela, and they were doing great just a few years ago under Hugo Chavez before the U.S. started really getting into their business and whatnot. They were doing all right, but that's a reality, and it's a possibility that exists for us unless we start addressing things in some other way. So, uh, Sykes, please, go ahead, bro. Go ahead and and say what you got to say about money. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I want to ask a question before we get into that. Because you brought up something that, that uh, it even it piqued my attention and my interest, and I'm pretty sure it probably piqued a few other int- uh, uh, listeners' interest. You 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 talked about the uh, the situation in the time of Woodstock and the global pandemic that was killing millions of people then, and the differences in the responses. I have to believe that you have a theory of why the response is different now than it was then. And I would like to hear that. Well, I think that the one thing that power wants is more power. And as this government, the society marches along, you know, it, it's no coincidence that this is happening in an election year, it, it's no coincidence. I, I don't believe, you know. Um, they're talking back and forth, been talking for a while about the possibility of elections being postponed. Really? And now they're talking about because of social distancing, people, especially with it supposed to, you know, in the past, it's come back around November, which is voting time. And people so scared to go and be around other people for fear of spreading it and all of that. A lot of folks want to vote by mail. Well, you know, your boy Trump got a problem with, with the post office just right off. He said that they're losers and call them all kinds of stuff. Um, but the U.S. post office is on the brink of, of, of insolvency, of being bankrupt. You know, I don't know if folks realize this, but the post office 
is controlled. The rules are set by the government, but it receives no funding from the government. So when you go and buy a stamp or send something to the post office, that's their revenue. That's their money they get. At the same time, the government says, determines how the, the cap for what it is they can charge for a package or for a stamp or whatever, but they don't give them any money. On top of that, there's a law that says that the, the, the post office has to maintain um, med- medical, uh, in- medical insurance as well as pensions for its employees 50 years into the future. That's like $75 billion. So with those type of restraints and, and regulations and whatnot, it's no wonder that they're on the verge of going bankrupt. Now, that being said, if, if these elections – which you don't want to cancel the elections because people will get pissed and, oh, no, that's our constitutional right and all of that bull crap. So the next best thing is to, just, is to say, okay, everybody will just vote by mail. Oh, wait, the post office is having all these issues and can't really deliver the mail, and, and maybe your vote gets there, maybe your vote don't get there. I don't know. It's definitely a grounds for to to challenge the results of a presidential election. I can see that happening, but ultimately, this government that's an inverted totalitarian, totalitarian state, which essentially a totalitarian state, is a government a state in which the government has absolute, complete, authoritative control. Period. You do what the state says. You've ever seen Big Brother. Uh, or 1984, uh, any of those types of movies, that's a totalitarian state. That's the situation where the, there is no illusion about what it is you're supposed to say and do. If you don't support the government outwardly, openly, all the time, you, you don't. Um, much like the black sites that they have, especially this one in Chicago, where people disappear. The police arrest them and they just go away. Um, an inverted totalitarian state is one in which, because you vote, you think you're making a difference when it comes time to, to put somebody in office. You think that you're having a voice, a say-so in your government, in your country. You think that, you're, that you are in control of it somehow, that you're influencing it somehow. And at this point, which is exactly where we are, the illusion of that democracy which the U.S. has never been a democracy. When black folks just got the right to vote a few years ago, and even in the Pledge of Allegiance, I pledge allegiance to the flag, the United States of America, and to the republic, not the democracy, but the republic for which it stands. So the U.S. is not a democracy and never has been. That's just part of the illusion that they tell you. Um, as these illusions are whittled away, and it becomes clearer and clearer, and I thank Trump, and that's why I like Trump, because even when he's lying, he's telling the truth um, and is laying open and bare for everybody or people who want to see what's going on, laying open for people to see what's going on. When he makes comments like, yeah, there are a lot of things that I can do as the president to address the situation, a lot of things that y'all don't even know about. He's letting you know they have a whole set of plans and, 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 and regulations and whatnot that they can and are about to implement that you don't even know anything about. It's going to blow your mind. You still have some of your mind left. But as far as I'm concerned, it's just the natural progression of a government 
locking down, locking in, and sewing up the last vestiges, getting rid of the illusion once and for all so that people, once it's too late, are able to see, oh, this is what that is. Oh, okay. And you do things like take the dollar off of the gold standard. You know, if you have gold and you have $1 is equal to a certain amount of gold, that locks in the number of dollars that you can create. When you take that away, then you just create as many dollars as you want. It puts you in control of the economy. And having that control means you can crash that economy on this end or that end whenever you want. Absolutely. The response, I think, matter of fact, Ron Emanuel, who was uh, an advisor to uh, Obama, y'all saved it. You know, you know the guy. Um, he was uh, an advisor to Obama, and he repeated something that Winston Churchill had said years ago. He said, never let a crisis go to waste. And you can take that a few different ways. The way I take it is they're not going to let this crisis pass without them implementing some things that they've been wanting to implement. Do you know how close we've been to a nuclear war with Iran over the past few months? You know how close Iran, Iraq, and, 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 and China and Russia have become. You know that they're still invading and bombing Somalia and on a daily basis. People are dying, not just from corona. It's not that major there. What is major is the bombs that this country continues to drop on them. Do you know that they tried the U.S. military use some, uh, or the government used some, some mercenaries to go and try to overthrow the, the, the leader Maduro of, of Venezuela? You know, some folks will know Puerto Rico is about to, to vote on whether or not to become a, 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 an actual or where they want to become because they can't make that decision about like the post office, whether or not they become an actual, want to actual, actual, become an actual factual state in this country. You know, all of these things are going on, but we're dealing with the masters of, of diversion. You know, we're pissed off because we can't watch, there ain't no football games going on or basketball, whatever the hell season it is right now. Ain't no games on. I want my games back. You know, way back in the day, people suffered and dealt with situations and did what they had to do for the collective, even though, and I'm not, a, a again, a fan of the U.S. military, anything it does, or the government and whatnot, but World War II, Europeans in this country, and I'm going to talk about white folks, white folks in this country banded together, and this is what they do. They may internally fight and blah, 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 but when they deal with an external threat, they band together and they can get shit done. You know, uh, uh, opened up the factories to women coming in and working the factories and, and men going off and fighting these wars and whatnot. And folks just had to, to suffer because, you know, through the Great Depression and all of this other stuff, and folks did what they had to do to try to get things back what they felt was right. These folks turned around. They're told to shelter in place for a month, and people are losing their mind. White folks don't want to teach their kids at home. What the hell? You know, this is madness. People are losing their minds, and the time is right for the U.S. government to step in because people are asking for it. Hey, lock us down. We need to be, you know, sheltering in place and arrest people for not wearing a mask or, you know, my manager, Jenny, is going to throw you out if you don't put your mask on and all of this type of nonsense. You know, and I'm not saying that corona ain't a thing. It's something. I don't know what. You don't know what. They probably don't know what, but it's a thing. And it's a good excuse to implement the things that they have written that most black folks have no idea that are written 
black folks need to start going to these white militia uh, websites because they have a whole bunch of intel on the government about what they're doing and about to do. You need to pay attention and listen to them white folks. But, uh, 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 you know, the continuance of government and shadow governments and all of those types of things, they're prepared for this. They're prepared for exactly what it is is happening. It's not an accident. It's falling into place too well. Watch. Watch. <laughs> My bad. I ain't been going so long, bro. <laughs> no, that was all right. I mean, I wanted to understand it. I wanted to know what you what your uh what your perspective was with that. That was important. I mean no government no government ever gets to a certain in history has gotten to a certain point of power and said, Oh, this is pretty good. We're we're just gonna stay here and you know, have this, you know, 1954 amount of uh, power that that we have, and, and we'll just be all right. No, no, when you've got people that are worth $145 billion and they want more, when you got, you know, uh, a, a government and uh, uh, presidents and, and all of these senators and whatnot that are able to do basically whatever the hell they want to do, but they want more, yeah, they're going to do it. So, yes, the government is on a trajectory and it's a logical path to want more power, and it's either going to happen or it's going to uh, collapse, one of the two. It's just a matter of exactly when and being prepared for that eventuality, to me. Hmm. Yeah. Don't come looking for bowls of rice in my house, though. <laughs> you on your own. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're talking about cooperative economics, Ujama, and um, I'm gonna feed into what you just what you just spoke about a little bit. Uh, when I studied economics, and, and the reason I asked you for your opinion on that is because I've been thinking the same things. I've been asking myself, uh, what is the purpose of this? Why are they giving people a free $1,200? Why are they giving people that's unemployed an extra $600? And one of the things that we understand about economics, and, and you talked about capitalism a while ago is that capitalism is not an economic system based off of I need to take care of the next man because I love him so much. That is not the type of economic system that capitalism is. Matter of fact, the, the basic concept of capitalism is is that the human being is selfish. That's the basic ideal of capitalism. Capitalism is founded off the idea that the human being operates off self-interest. And, and socialism is founded on the idea of doing for others because it's just simply what needs to be done. So these are the these are the are the conflicting uh, economic philosophies. And in and in, in capitalism, uh, who uh, Europeans uh, attribute with founding this ideal is Adam Smith. And in the Wealth of Nations, Adam Smith said that essentially the the essence of human nature is self interest. Human beings operate off self interest. And if you create an economic system where the self-interest can be fulfilled, then human beings will basically benefit the whole. And I'm not saying I agree with this idea. I'm just breaking down the idea. Human beings will basically benefit the whole by trying to benefit their own self-interest. Example, if you, me, and War was operating a shoe company, I, my self-interest is to have my shoe company to be the best shoe company so I can make the most sales. Well, I'm in competition with you and War. And y'all self-interest is the same thing because y'all want the most money. So by us operating off our self-interest, we'll create the better shoe in order to try to make the most sales, in order to get the most money, therefore benefiting the public with the better shoe and benefiting ourselves with, with more money and more sales. 
that's the concept and idea that Adam Smith talked about with self-interest. So understanding that, we understand that nothing economical is based off of I'm doing for you because I like you so much. Nothing economical is based off that, especially in a capitalist system. When I studied capitalism, I studied under an old white man from Snyder, Texas. And uh, this old country white boy, he thought economically. And the first thing that he taught in economics class was the economist. And the principles that he spoke about, a few things he spoke about was this. One is to understand that economics is a social science, not an exact science. It's not two plus two equals four. Two plus two always equals four, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're dealing with, no matter if you're counting with rice, with straws, or with planks of wood. If you have two planks on one side and two planks on the other side, you're going to have four planks, period, point blank. But as a social science, you're dealing with the way that people respond to outside stimuli. And you want to study that for two reasons, so that you can be the one that controls that outside stimuli in order to create the response, or so that you can be the one who controls that outside stimuli so that you can make sure the response that you don't want to happen doesn't take place. So that, that is the purpose of thinking like an economist. And, and, the, and the second thing that he always talked about was to basically make no move that wasn't economical. And, and as you know, in this days and times, people hear a rapper talking about a Bugatti and they dream car becomes a Bugatti. But that's a non-economical move because a, a million-dollar car does not make sense. A million-dollar car can drive you to work the same way a $20,000 car can. So that it becomes non-economical. This, this, this guy, white, uh, Mr. Smith, this country white guy from Snyder, uh, Texas, wore shoes that didn't have shoestrings in them because he said Velcro was more economical. You know what I'm saying? And I, and I broke all that down and I explained all that to get to this, this basic simple point. When I use those principles to try to understand why they just gave everybody a, uh, a stimulus, a $1,200 stimulus, why dudes that ain't been working for months has been laying up doing nothing just got $1,200 and went balling out of control, why they did that, I have to ask myself the question why based off the principles that I learned in economics class based off those ideals. So the ideal is no one does it because I just want to see the public doing good. What is the personal interest of doing such a thing? What is going on? And why what you said is not too far-fetched to me because I, I have to add my – now I haven't come up with the answer, but I have to ask myself why are they getting away all this money? Why? And we, as you say, magically they printed it. It came out of nowhere. They went to the printing presses. They made it up. And another thing that he taught in economics class was this. <clears throat> he asked a question. He said, uh, boom, let's use the concept of colorblind high. When colorblind high happened and, and all those kids were killed at colorblind high, uh, they put uh, new standards on gun companies, which raised the price of guns. So he asked, would you vote to have uh, 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 higher taxes and higher standards placed on gun companies? Would you vote to have it placed on them, or would you vote to have it placed on the buying public? And some of the people in the class said, I'd vote to have it placed on the gun companies. Some of the people in the class said, I'd vote to have it placed on the public. And at the end, when everybody debated and argued the idea, he said, you are both voting for the same thing. No matter what, the company is never going to pay the tax. 
no matter what happens, the company is always going to transfer the tax to the public by raising the price of guns. You have to understand that. Every time a, a politician gets in front of the camera and one politician talks about taxing the company and another politician talks about taxing the people, both politicians are talking about the exact same thing. Think economically. The people are always going to be taxed, period, point blank. There's no way around it. It is always going to be transferred back down to the people. So when we look at things like the, uh, the stimulus packet, when we look at things like what the what the discussing about voting in the, in, the, in the practice now, and everybody's like, man, I'm getting free money. Nobody takes our time to think about why are they giving me free money and what is the fallout behind this? Because one thing you got to understand about economics is that the first principle of economics is that there is no such thing as a free lunch. It doesn't exist. Uh, the old country white boy, Mr. Smith, said, I don't care how free it looks. There's some attached to it. There is no such thing as a free lunch. And if you want to make decisions based off economical science, you have to accept that. So if you got a free lunch and it tastes good right now, you got to ask yourself, what is that free lunch going to cost me in the future? And before I, before I turn it over to Brother Wong, let me say this, because I want to go back to the subject, cooperative economics. Cooperative economics and prison, we practice that. We practiced cooperative economics because you had no choice. You know, we practiced it when we made a spread. You know, I might have had $5, and the other brother might have had 3 and the other brother might have had $2 in food. And at the end of the day, we were able to produce a $50 uh, spread that fed the entire nation as a, as a, as a whole, so to speak. So in, in my mind, in my understanding, that is cooperative economics. Uh, you may have something that I don't. You may have a skill that I don't. I understand and I know how that I don't. I may have something that you don't, but by us coming together, we're able to create and produce a mastermind alliance in order to produce the things that we need at, at the end of the day. And that's cooperative economics. We may we if we if you, me and Wall want to produce a website that costs a hundred dollars and Wall only has thirty three point thirty three cents. And I only have thirty three point thirty three cents and you only have thirty three point thirty three cents. We have what we need to produce our website while cooperating with, with each other. And that's how all civilizations, all nations, all powerful communities were built by the people in those communities having an understanding to come together and cooperate with each other. You know, it becomes a, a conflict of interest when people think they have to compete. But when human beings learn how to put aside their own selfishness and their own egos and cooperate with one another, then we're able to make strides. I had a brother... And he's a uh, he's great he's a great hustler. And when I say hustler, I don't mean nothing illegal. He understands how to look at nothing and create something out of it. I had a, I have a brother, and he every time he finds some new hustle, he comes to me and he say, Hey, I just came up with this. Look, look at this. This is how you can make some extra money. And anytime I come up with anything, I'm gonna try to bring that to that brother. But the brother just came to me. He just started doing. Uh, he just started going to Goodwill auctions. And he started buying these pallets of boxes that he don't know what's in the boxes for $20 on the auction, you $20, $30 at the most. He told me he bought a pallet for $30. And one item in one of the boxes he sold on eBay for $100. And he said, so therefore he made his money and profit back in one item. Therefore, all the rest of it is just pure profit. Now, he didn't have to tell me about this. 
But he instantly, as soon as he found out about this, he instantly contacted me and broke and broke the entire uh, uh, legitimate hustle down to me so that I can do the same exact thing. Even that is, is cooperative economics because we are all looking out for each other and we're all passing knowledge and information to each other that can increase our economic capabilities and abilities. And that's the way I see Ujamaa. As, as, as a whole and as a philosophy. And with that, and I know I got long-winded, I'm going to pass it to Brother War. Hold on a second. Uh, well, before you do that, I want to put okay. these just real quick. Two things. Um, I had a, a personal finance uh, professor back in high school named Miss Hadley, little old sister, and she told us, and it always stuck with me, every business in this country, every business, profit, nonprofit, or otherwise, every business in this country is in business for one reason and one reason alone. Not because they like to see the customer happy, not because they like to provide, you know, stellar, you know, service to the customer and, and take care of your taxes and see you do well and all of that. Every company in this in this country is in business to make money by nature. True indeed. Even if it's a, True even indeed. if it's a nonprofit, the CEO of that now matter of fact the non the, the, the CEO of the CEOs of the Salvation Army, the Goodwill, and the United Way are all six-figured salaried uh, positions. So the balance sheet for the actual company may show no profit, but the folks, the people, the actual human beings that are running it are showing a good profit, are making mad money. So they're in business to make money, period. And the other thing is that, yeah, that, that pallet thing is an actual thing. If you Google that or YouTube it, because I was looking into that, into actual, you know, between that and Amazon. Um, but, yeah, going in and doing that, that's actually uh, a thing that, that folks are doing. But, um, yeah, that, that's why I want to finish war. Well, what you got, bro? All right, let me, let me go into this from the standpoint of weaponization. And I'm going to start by just ending, uh, starting on where you ended with nonprofit. That term itself, because I like us to, to look at things as it applies to the definition so that people have a clear, more clarity on, on what's going on. The, the word nonprofit, as it applies to a corporation, simply means that the input and output must equate. That's it. So what that basically is, is I can pay people a million-dollar salary as long as what money comes in is what money is distributed distributed out that year, that physical year. So the following year doesn't mean that I may not raise my budget the following year, which is which in essence does the same thing as a, as a for profit. It just simply means the operation of this entity must be able to liquidate or either either liquidate or transfer everything that they they project. That's all it means. Which is typically why nonprofits are tied to organizations. See, even within that, it's, it's, it's just knowing what the, what the real deal is and, and knowing how the, how the corruption just continues on and on and on. Because most, most of the time, it's for-profit corporations that establish nonprofits so that they can basically have a way to expound or get rid of tax money, which so therefore they don't have to pay the IRS in a sense. But what they do is they sink that investment money into the, 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 the quote-unquote nonprofit. And by doing that, you can still, in turn, pay people on the nonprofit board or, or within the nonprofit organization the money that you would have normally paid out in your biz, in your for-profit business to, to evade the taxes. 
So it does not mean that everybody, that you're not making money. It does not mean that you're not doing well. In fact, you could be, you could be again, driving a Lamborghini in a nonprofit organization. It's just that you cannot, as a nonprofit entity, tie back to profit. So then you what? Establish another corporation that's going to do that. And that's all you do. So it's a transference is all you have to do. So I you can't get caught up in that. Yeah. It's a lot of people. I mean, that's that's the name of the game. You know, economists would tell you that. So a financial advisor would 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 tell you that you must establish a nonprofit or a foundation, something that will allow you to be able to, you know, get all deal with some of the money you would normally have to pay to the government anyway. So let me go back into these this uh, this other aspect of how I want to address this, because when we talk about cooperative economics. Again, we have to go into the definitions. So I want to go in on is defining the word standard. And the word standard is sometimes considered something considered by an authority or the general consensus as a basis of comparison and an approved model. It also means the morals, ethics, habits, etc., established by an authority, custom, or individual uh, as acceptable. And now it's important that we gauge that because what we're talking about when we go into economics period, the masses is based upon some type of standard. So now given this progressive defining value as it applies to our discussion for the sake of empowerment is to set a minimal incline into growth. That's how we should look at it. Let me say that again. Setting a minimal incline to growth. So as a people, we have to set out a position of growth. And in doing so, like I said, we all, I always try to bring up the three Ds, which in doing so generates and builds a, a course of, of, of action that we can apply and that we can, and that, that we can utilize. And so I want to also say this from that standpoint. Sometimes when I use the word is, I'm doing it from the standpoint of an acronym, IS stands for intellectually sanctioned, which means to give thought. And to give thought to brings us into the initiation, the planning, execution, monitor, control, and a closure. Again, what this does is allows you to be able to apply a systematic course of principles to make sure whatever it is you set a tone to, whatever it is you set a pace to, you can actually see it through. That's the cooperative part. See, there has to be organizing and organization within that within that front. That is the whole point of the economy. So then I'm going to go into that by talking about what it means when you deal with physics. But before I do that, let's say this. To help going back on something that Sykes said, he talked about how economics was not linear. And it's in the past shows, I've always said that, keep in mind, one of the biggest one of the biggest tools they use against us is miseducation. And that form of miseducation that they do is teach us linear education. So the way that they teach the general population, which, again, establishes that standard, is a, a position of linear learning. And when you teach a people linear learning, then they will have a robotic mentality they will have a one plus one must equals two and so forth. 
So the, so everything that they engage in will, will have this robotic and and tunnel vision approach. So that is the standard that is established. Now you can't have cooperative anything if everybody is stuck in a specific sink that is predetermined by somebody else. It completely eliminates your ability to be a self-thinker, your ability to what? Have power. Now, by saying that, I'm going to go into the definition of power. And I want to do this from the standpoint of physics because when we deal with things on a natural law in the natural world, it is so much easier to be able to equate it to the unnatural, unnatural way in which humanity has taken things into shape. So as it applies to physics, power is work done or energy transferred per time of uh, per unit of time. Now that same definition going into economics is also the same exchange used to measure measure physical labor. Physical labor is based on energy transferred of the work done per time, which is why when you what go to a job. They're going to pay you a certain amount of what? Salary per hour. Because we're talking about now that labor transference per time, which is power. Now, that's physics. Is once you start adding a skill set into that equation, then the rate of exchange of time for labor is offset based on the rarity or specialization of that skill set. That's the key the rarity of specialization of that skill set. The same thing applies physically, mentally, and spiritually or economically or materially, which is why what? The dollar or, or currency at some point is typically backed by some rare mineral. It's the same thing. So you see the concept of power as it applies to physics, if we are critical thinkers, if we are utilizing this to our greatest ability in being able to do what? With the three Ds, define, develop, and then defend. Those things coupled together will put you in a position, can put you, not to say, not, not to say it always does, but can put you in a better position to be a critical thinker, thereby being able to see through the disguise of what happens when we give our power away. Because power Going back to something that I, I mentioned in one of our podcasts before about the Illuminati, they quote power as being something that must be either taken or given away, period. Power either must be taken or given away. So going back to, again, I'm talking about this from, from weaponization standpoint so that we can open our eyes and see what's going on. Neuro-linguistic programming, which is the acronym NLP, teaches you that if a person is not aware of their power, then I don't necessarily have to apply physical force in order to get gain access to that power. Because if they don't know what they what, what their capabilities are, either through suppression, which is what happens, or miseducation, linear thinking, then I can coerce them or I can manipulate the value system that they operate from to cause them to degrade or devalue true power. And in doing so, now they become what? My slave. And not only my slave, but my perpetual slave. Economics of it. Because economics is rooted in economy. Economy is locomotion. 
The idea about adding and coupling time with labor has to do with the locomotion. And human labor or the masses of people operate from that premise. And as long as my quote-unquote mass or my operation or my locomotion is unaware of its true, its true mass or its true power or its true kinetic, then I can continue to run that train on a straight track and go round and round and round with it all, all day long. That is the weaponization of what we're talking about. So in getting into cooperative economics, we first have to go back and redefine what that means because most of us are not grabbing the essence of the cooperative part which cooperative going into sales theory that we teach as Panthers has to do with recognizing the totality and the existence and the importance of that all in order for a system to be in full functioning value. But typically only the architect gets that. So the point being the elite masses of the elite mass operates from the standpoint of the architect. So therefore they are designing and controlling the grid. And as they construct these grids, you get the people to fill them out. Because grids are typically what? Linear points of intersect. A linear point of intersect, a grid, needs robotic operation, robotic thought, robotic, robotic measures. So I need you to be a linear thinker if I need to place you on a grid. So it all, it all maps out and makes complete sense as to why we have, as a people, have a problem being able to cooperate with one another because we are, we are operating from linear perspectives. So once we are able to define this from the standpoint of recognizing how weaponization plays into this and how we have been basically controlled because we have did two things. We have power has been taken, you know, because, again, there's two ways that goes about that. Power has is, is been taken and power has been given away. It's not either or, it's typically both. And that's what we, again, linear thinking will make you think that it's either or. That's that one and zero cycle. But nonlinear thinking lets you recognize the fact that holistically, there's always combinations of events or sequences or gatherings or anything that, that, that is basically universal that comes into play that causes the outcomes of, of certain events, period. But linear thinking makes you want to point, point the finger at one person, point the finger at one problem, point the finger at one solution. And in doing that, it causes people to always feel like their way is the best way or this approach is the best approach, not recognizing that we have to have a cooperative approach which means that everything must take its place and has its value. And I'm going to end it with this one, is one thing, and I say this often on the show, and let me just try to find another way of putting it, because a lot of times it's about saying the same thing in a different way that taps into people's, um, you know, ability to ah ah, you know, how they are moment all of a sudden, in which is spin cycle, the, the critical thinking, which is where we're trying to go with all of this. Looking at the human body and the human system, Let's use ourselves as an example or a body as an example as the same way we would do. We would run in a corporation or run in an organization. If I ask, okay, so who wants to be in charge of the finance? Who wants to be in charge of running the organization? You may get a lot of hands that go up. 
But if I say who wants to be in charge of the sanitation and who wants to be in charge of, of taking out the trash, very few people <coughs> hands will go up. Now let's apply that to the human body. If I say who want, who which organ wants to be the butthole? Pretty much probably nobody will raise their hand and say that they want to be the ass of the organization. But guess what? Everything that goes into that organization must found waste. Everything that goes into our system, no matter how good it tastes, how how uh, much protein nutrients we get out of it, there is always waste. So if you devalue that ass or you devalue the butt and think it doesn't serve a purpose or it has less of a purpose, you are going to implode. And so will your corporation if you don't handle all aspects of it equally with, with equal footing. So I say that to say this. We tend to put too much, and this is linear thinking, too much uh, time, energy, or focus on one aspect of something based upon the uh, perception that it has or based upon the recognition, oh, I'm the CEO, or I'm this, or I'm that. So that's somebody title chasing. And a lot of times we do that same thing when we're talking about organizing once amongst each other, again, getting into cooperative economics. So when we're working together, we are placing a lot of times too much value on something that is irrelevant to the, to the total point of where we're trying to head, and that's empower ourselves, empower our people. We have to be able to recognize and see these principles that Brother E is teaching us at the highest point. And the highest point of that is recognizing that it is about encompassing all of the principles. None, none is more important than the other. We may be able to sit up here and talk more on one than the other based upon the state or the condition that we find ourselves in today. But in essence, the point being all principalities from what we're talking about come into one unified field theory, period. That unified field theory must be recognized as a universal law, which is subdivided within principles so that we can digest this and be able to put it into motion and operation. That's basically all we're talking about. And I hope I'm trying to make it simple, but this is Brother Ward talking. And the point is I want y'all to recognize things from this, this, the, the point of weaponization. And know that this is what happens, people. Know that if we are not recognizing, defining what we are, developing what we are, and defending what we are, and, 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 and again, how these things can be used against us, that's the weaponization part, it's, it's a lost cause. That's all I want to say on that. Bro. Okay, bro. So, so first, the, did you say weaponize that ass or devalue that ass? Is that what you said? Yeah, that's right. That's lame. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. It's just, yeah, devalue that ass. That's all right. I, I, I'm going to have to use that at some point. Some kind of way I'm going to work that into a conversation later on this week. You know. Um, but, okay, so I'm going to round this out because I really want to get to to open up the lines. There's a couple of people that have been holding on for a minute, so I want to move into the most, but just – as a last example to kind of sum up and round this out, um, Reverend Albert Cleve of the um, Trine of the Black Madonna, 
when, uh, if you haven't heard of him, you might Google it sometimes. It's very, very interesting. Um, it's part of a black liberation theology, which is one of the, the isms that uh, the, the Dallas chapter of the party uh, developed and, and worked into the, the, the ideology. But in terms of, of, of uh, cooperative economics, his rundown with the idea of, of, of Jesus and the loaves of bread and, and was it fish, Psych? It was fish, right? You, you, you're my Bible guy because I forget these things. Um, but yes. Okay, take, so taking the fish and the bread and feeding the masses, Albert Clegg would teach that the way that this was done, because the Bible never really talks about it, it's kind of a mysterious thing, but the way he interpreted it from a black liberation theology, from a black collective mindset, from a Kwanzaa principle in Guzo Saba prospect, uh, or perspective, was that what the man did was to take your fish take their bread, take some spices from over yonder, and have some cats go get some fresh water and put all this stuff together, made this gumbo, made this meal, and fed the masses. So essentially, from a cooperative economics, all of these folks pieced in, under his guidance, pieced in and fed everybody, whereas the individual could not feed themselves, but collectively they were able to feed one another. So the man was not only a carpenter, but he was a master chef. And that's kind of the the idea or what sums up, in my mind, the idea of cooperative economics is taking everything we have and spreading it to everybody that is. Um, so having said that, moving on, Umoja, um, I'm going to say the least about this, again, because I want folks to be able to chime in, but also uh, because it being, in a sense, the most massive, the summarization, the beginning and the end point, being all of these things, everything that we say, everything that we have said, should, will, can feed into the idea of unity, which, according to Webster's, is a state of being whole. The state, African people are in a state today where we are not whole. We are pieces of a puzzle because our concept um, is the difference between, and me and Sykes months ago had this kind of conversation, but the idea, the difference between tree huggers and whatnot in this country or people that, that want to save the earth because the earth, you know, provides for us and gives back. And, um, you know, if we take care of it, it'll take care of us. Okay, that's okay. But from a more African-centered perspective, from a more unified unity perspective, God forbid, one of us was in an accident or had a stroke or something along those lines to the point that it affected our right arm. We could no longer use that arm. That arm was just there, kind of like Bob Doe. I don't know if y'all remember that cat. He was a senator and ran for president. He used to walk around with a pen in one hand, and that's all that hand did was hold that pen because he couldn't move it. So the arm is now useless. It doesn't actively benefit us. So then the decision becomes, okay, you can keep that arm and just have it hanging there. You're going to have to wash that arm, you know, wash under the armpit and, and clean the fingernails and all of, take care of it like any other arm. Or you can cut it off. Since it's not doing anything, you cut it off and, and be done with it and just move on. You don't have to worry about it anymore. In my head, I keep my arm, even though now it's just 
an appendage that I have to take care of and no longer takes care of me, it's still a part of me. It's still an outgrowth of, of what I am. It's still me. And if we apply that idea to the whole taking care of the earth uh, uh, because it's going to take care of us, no, we take care of the earth because it is us. That's an African concept. That's an a-, a traditional African value is that we provide and take care of because it is we are an extension of it, and it is a, a part of us, not because there's a part of the world, Sahara Desert, doesn't actively, perceivably to most people produce anything. But we don't cut it off. We don't try to get rid of it. It's still there. It's still a part of the earth. It's still a part of our experience. And that's the level of unity that as African people, we have to work, we have to aspire, we have to believe in having faith and getting back to. We have to make that our purpose, not so much, you know, the idea that, oh, uh, 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 we're an outgrowth of the earth. Yeah, that's great, but we're an outgrowth of one another. I'm not going to take care of psych because psych might help me. I'm going to take care of psych because psych is me, because war is an outgrowth of me, is an extension of me. We are one and the same. We are the same people. We're the same uh, different expressions, but the same expression. You know, and that's the mindset. That's the unity. That's the the idea behind an African concept of unity, not taking care of because that's a symbiotic relationship. I take care of you because you're going to take care of me. No, I take care of you because you are me, because we are. And so, uh, like I said, I, I want to cut it off there because I really want to get folks to be able to, to chime in. War, before I turn it over to, to, to the people, did y'all want to say anything? All right, I'll no, take that I, as a I'm note. I'm going to let us turn that with people first. Yeah. Okay. I'll double back. Okay. All right. So 0873, I think you've been holding the longest. Go ahead. You're you're on. 0873, telephone number. Are you there? Hang on. War, can you click on this? Hello? They, Can they anybody hear me? They just don't, they're not responding. So I say go to the next call. Okay, I'm going to move on. We'll come back to you. Stay on there, and I'll try to get you back again. Uh, 3360. Black Power to you, my brothers. Oh, bro. To the host, Brother War, Honorable National Chief of Staff. This is Brother Jane, Southern Region Chief of Staff, New Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. I just wanted to chime in on something that the Honorable National Chief of Staff and yourself were speaking on as it deals with the people and preparing ourselves during this time of tragedy or this time of hardship that we're facing in our community. I do want to point out, like Brother War said, the attack on our community has begun again. Um, Just an open massacre on our people, economically, socially, physically, health-wise, just on all fronts. But I think this is also an opportunity for us as a people to really sit back and focus on self. I can't stress this enough. 
of how we need to use this time to advance ourselves as a people. I think that we should begin to educate our kids more on more important things, like you were saying, definitely on economy and how does it work and how can we use it to to promote our people. I think we need to focus on um, learning home skills. Instead of Honorable Brother War and yourself were talking about purchasing the bread and the prices that's going to go up on the bread, I think that we as a people need to begin to teach our children and our household how to make bread. And therefore, we won't have to begin to rely on the system. And it's many things that we can do to substitute going to the store and buying as well as growing our own fresh vegetables begin to make our own products as it deals with home care and cleaning products if we only just research for ourselves but we are so off focus on frivolous matters we spoke on always focusing talking on frivolous matters we're always worried about someone else and not worrying about self and so we're struggling with self-love and because we don't have self-love we can't love our neighbor And so I think that this is just a time that the ancestors have blessed us with an opportunity to go back to the basic as a people and really look at those essential things that we learned in our household and in our culture. And so I just want to say that once again, I thank you, brothers, always National Chief of Staff, Brother War, for everything you've done for me, the knowledge you instilled for me for, for this platform and for just to continue to motivate the fight for the people throughout the world and liberation of our people. So stand down with that, my brother, Black Power. All right, Black Power, brother. Is that that next call ever come on? Okay, let me just jump in and and, uh, keep this going here. So the deal is, in talking about this, I want to address unity from the standpoint of going in and, and again, providing us more definition. So I'm going to address this by first talking about the definition of baseline, which is the basic level or guideline for for establishing future studies or measurements. And this is important because the definition of union is mutated and has taken on a role of basically being the camaraderie or union of two people or or, or a, a venture that basically means that, hey, uh, we're stuck together or we're in this together or we have to work together or we have to work within a certain confined space. And union has basically meant that we're all collectively stuck in this place. <clears throat> to give you the perfect example, a lot of people decide they want to move to a particular area. So that becomes what? A community. But the common unity amongst that is what defines the power, which is what we're dealing with now, because we want to address it from the standpoint of empowerment. So the power within that, that common unity should be how they circulate the dollar or circulate the economy within that community so that that community can be self-sustained. That is what the common unity should be. And that common unity that I'm talking about 
would basically operate the same way within the human system as the blood does in the, through the circulatory system. Everything within that within within that that that, that circulatory system is constantly re- going, you know, from from your toe up to your head to your to your fingernails and back on through. That same blood is being circulated all throughout your body. If at any point an artery were to open up and that blood goes out but does not come back into a vein, what happens? You bleed out. So this is what tends to happen to us as a people is that we have bled out, but we don't recognize it. So, yeah, that carcass or that corpse is still there. So our common unity, we still have that corpse there, but is it living? Is it living? And so when we talk about pulling together and dealing with things from the standpoint of unity, it has to do with how we define that unity. And how we define that unity goes into what Brother E has been summarizing throughout these whole points and out the, without these principles. The deal is, is it works its way up to the concept of us collectively working together as one being holistic in, in, in defining unity. And so as we define unity, we have to look at the current condition based upon weaponization and based upon destruction of the African civilization and the African people, the African way of life, which is why we're having to constantly go back and recalibrate these points, which is why we're having this discussion in the first place, is to make sure that we can re-pitch back out into the community what's going on. The Panther 48 is allowing you to have access to a recast of the information that constantly continues to get lost because we are not calibrating ourselves as a people enough. We have been overexposed and over, basically over, uh, overused from a linear format. And a linear format causes us to basically gather in one place and refer to that as a community, refer to that as unity. Because we all came to kick it in one spot means that we unified. That ain't the same thing. Cohabitating the same space does not mean that you are in unity. And we have to get away from this sickness. Again, the definition has morphed and mutated to mean something that it ain't. And that is not what the unity is, people, because we are confined to a certain space. That means we have to find a way to live together or operate together or, or, or function together, so to speak, or not function together. But we have to deal with one another for a certain period of time. But how do you equate that and put into into a process of empowerment? How do you take that being confined with the next person and you make it to where the skill set of you and me are evaluated amongst each other and that we efficiently come up with a way to utilize our skill set to help enhance our position, whatever that position may be. And as we enhance that position, going back into the cooperative economics, how do we create a process of perpetual development? Because keep in mind, we are dealing with a process of perpetual destruction, which is what they have laid out. Because they have created and allowed us and caused us to operate from a Will-Lie Lynch syndrome or Willie Lynch perspective. And in doing so, we basically have set on a path of destroying one another. And that has attacked us physically, spiritually, and mentally, economically, 
all 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 aspects. We're constantly under attack of each other, as well as the system going in and tweaking and calibrating that to keep us in this state of constant flux amongst amongst ourselves. So to empower our people, to empower us back into a position of the correct aspect of what unity represents. From an African perspective, Afrocentric perspective, we want us to know that it does not simply mean that two people are confined to a space at a particular time and have to deal with one another. That don't sound like like a unity or, or at all. And so we have to rise above that. We have to rise in empowerment. We have to rise in our knowledge and in our wealth of what we have been sleeping on. And so that's why I wanted to make sure of the equation as it as it comes to what unity is. But he's like, y'all want to jump in? Okay. Um, Psych, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. Just want to make yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, I always like like to 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 draw the the, the I guess the example of unity being. On one level, everybody gets together at the most popular club, okay? All these black folks at this club. Okay, we're unified in the fact that we're all at this club to kick it, to holler at somebody, to to do whatever. Moving on from that, a greater level of unity is everybody on the dance floor, and I'm going to date myself here, but that's all right, everybody on the dance floor doing the electric slide at the same time. That's another level of unity. The level of unity that is most indicative of where we want to go in this example is as everybody's doing the electric slide, the shoestrings on all the brothers' shoes are moving and bouncing in the same direction at the exact same time. All the hair on the wigs and the sisters that are doing the electric slide are moving and bouncing in the same direction at the same time. That's the level of unity that, uh, that in that example, that is necessary for us to change the situation that we're in and, and move us beyond it to get us back circular, not linear, but get us back to where we once were. And as we study and develop our faith, we begin to see that, that beyond black history, because black history always talks about us here after we've been enslaved and civilized by white folks. It does not give us a perspective, an idea of who we were without their influence when we were doing what we do back when we did what we did. And I want to go back to the, to the, to the, uh, the other caller that um, wasn't able to, to get on and ask him one more chance to, to jump in here. Um, phone number 0873. Did you want to say something? Well, I, I want to add something to un- unity if uh, the caller don't want to say anything. Uh, uh, go ahead, go ahead. Is the caller here? Is the caller there? Yeah, I don't hear anything. Go ahead, bro. Okay. Okay. Anyway, when we're dealing with unity, the root of the word unity is unity, which means one. So when you're dealing with unity, it means to make the parts one whole. That's what that that's what that definition kind of defines. And you kind of got to ask yourself, uh, you know, the ideal philosophically sounds good. Oh, we all being united, skipping down the street with each other. But how do you do that when we have these varying, varying ideas, these varying spiritual beliefs, these varying concepts of uh, of uh, politics? How do you create that type of unity? Well, the way that you do it, you do it the same way you do it through mathematics. 
you do it uh, when we learn about fractions. The way that you turn a fraction into a whole is you have to find this least common denominator. So instead of looking at the things that divide us, that separate us, the things that we don't have in common, sometimes we got to find the things that we do have in common. And those are the things that allow us to create and formulate that, that ideal of unity with one another in order to move toward a collective benefit. And, and I think that that's very important for us to start grasping and understanding when we deal with the principle of emoji or deal with the principle of unity in, in itself. You know, uh, I saw in prison, I saw a lot of brothers gaining the ability to unite with each other, regardless if they came from different parts of Texas, regardless if they were in prison for different things or if they were in different age groups. They found something, they found a common bond, a tie that could unite them all together. Some some tie was being Crips, some was being Bloods, some was being revolutionaries. And then sometimes you even find the Crips, the Bloods, the Gangster Disciples, all finding a common bond in the fact that they, at some point in their history, was educated and taught by revolutionaries. But when you find that tie, then you're able to see that thing that relates you to another human being. And that's why culture itself becomes important because culture becomes that tie that binds the people together. That culture unites people. It's why Jews can see their own interests uh, uh, when they're looking at whatever it is. It was when even when it was uh, Farrakhan during the time that Jesse Jackson was was seeking the presidential nomination. When Farrakhan said the, the small things that he said, there wasn't and uh, 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 there wasn't a uh, anything threatening the Jews. But the fact that Jews had collectively come together under one binding culture and decided that we are not in any way, form, or fashion going to allow anybody in any way to say anything negative about Jews, that we'll destroy you politically, publicly, through the media and everything else, that was a form of unity based on culture. And and that's the only way you're going to really and truly find unity is to find that tight bind, find that least common denominator. Because if you are, I remember in the, uh, well, I don't remember it, but studying it and understanding it in the 60s, the, uh, the Panthers in the U.S., uh, Milano Karenga, we're talking about the principles of quant- quantum. And I know for a fact that there are some Panthers that are like, oh, I don't, I don't even deal with those principles because that came from Milano Karenga. And Milano Karenga was an enemy of the party, according to some, some Panther scholars. So they would they would disunite with each other based on that idea. But here's the thing. There is one common bond that actually created both groups back then. They just had a different a difference in uh interpreting that common bond. It was Malcolm X. Both groups, the US and the Panther Party in that day and time, claimed to be the ideological heirs of Malcolm X. But the US said, Well, we need to regain our culture and go back to Africa and find a common bond in Pan-Africanism. And the Panthers said that we need to arm ourselves and, the, uh, and we need to practice mili- uh, 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 a militant stand in defending our people in our own community and where the, uh, the police cannot or will not defend us. We need to stand and defend ourselves. We need to organize ourselves under political revolutionary concepts. Well, see, both concepts were from Malcolm, but both groups just took one concept without taking the other. So they both was right, 
and neither was wrong. The only wrong was they didn't see the unity in each other, and that led to a lot of setbacks that took years and years for other brothers to try to understand where they needed to bind that, create that bond with one another at. But I said that to say that in order to create unity, in order to find unity, in order to become one, we have to find that coming bond, that tie that binds, that least common denominator. And I think that's where this becomes or shows its <clears throat> circular nature better than any other point is um, because that common denominator, that common uh, uh, thread goes back to us developing the faith through study. There's no way around it. You know, we've known membership. We've known cats that have refused to read stuff by dead people, have refused to study and get outside of ourselves. Uh, but the reality of it is it comes down to, as Malcolm talked about, changing your thought process, changing the information that's in your head that's manipulating and controlling you without you even realizing it. And that goes back to picking up a book, watching the right YouTube videos, having the right conversations, all of those types of things. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that just hits on to me the, the circular nature of it and bringing us back to and re-upping, basically, as we have to do ever so often. You know, we've had issues even back in the day, and I'm going to talk about our business, um, back in the day um, with within the chapter in Dallas, you know, the whole um, Airmark, the, the hotel chain that uh, had been accused of, of discriminating against uh, black folks during um, 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 was the spring break and whatnot in the way that they allow or don't allow folks to stay at their, their hotel, we were approached to come and be part of a protest um, of black attorneys who were staying and having a conference, a convention of sorts, in one of their hotels in the Dallas area. So somebody, an outsider from the organization, brother, came and, and petitioned us to, to come and be a part of it. And the vast majority, I want to say everybody but me and Psych. <laughs> were in favor of going down and 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 protesting these attorneys, which every black person could use a good attorney. I don't care who you are, what social status you had, you could use a good attorney. But we had this um, uh, this, this split, so to speak, um, of of folks who were with it and folks who were not, and you could kind of see some of it was politics with some of the folks, but the vast majority of it was because of lack of education and understanding the situation and what was going on. And so we operated on that knee-jerk reaction and went to protest these folks down at, at this hotel. And there were many instances within just even just our chapter of, of that happening, um, uh, that, that, that lack of unity because of the, um, you know, you could almost draw – Take a ruler and draw and just draw a, a line where on one side you would have those who had studied and on the other side you would have those that had not. And uh, the, 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 the splits over issues, you know, the variance in, in opinions and whatnot, almost 100% of the time would follow that, that deviation. You'd have the same people on one side and the same people on the other side, um, and the common factor, the common denominator in that was study. So taking us back to Imani and developing our understanding of who it is we are, because the reality of it is we have no idea of who we are as a people. We don't identify 
with Africa, with black folks. I mean, the lowest common denominator is you black, I'm black. Okay, cool. We have that. We can start building on. Let's start building on that and have read a book and have a conversation about blackness and develop it and grow it from there. And so that that that's just the nature of the beast, and that's the thing that that on a fundamental, on a basis, on a first step sort of scenario has to happen with everybody as an individual and then everybody as a collective as it grows out from that individual. Why Do you want to chime in or anything? I'm going to give one last attempt to reach out and, and then um, go ahead and start wrapping things up. But go ahead, bro. Right, I'll chime in on that. I want to say if there is a reason why I used the word I used earlier when I said setting, when I was talking about dealing with um, dealing with standards, and I talked about what we must do in redefining that is setting a minimal incline to growth. Back what you were talking about, about that divide that you can have, that same thing that we exist within the party, because what we have to recognize, and we want the listener on us to recognize, is that no matter what organizations you operate from, um, whether it be, you know, social organization, political, whatever, we tend to have the same problem as a people. And that has to do with a good majority of our people are not critical thinkers. So that's why I said a minimal incline to growth. And when I say that, I'm basically saying that we have to take it upon ourselves and build, be willing to embrace the idea of constant learning, constant perpetual learning as an individual, as a community, as an organization, whatever you operate from. It's a holistic approach. Learning and growing must be a holistic approach and must be something you just accept as a part of your being. And, again, with linear education, it has taught us that, and it has caused us to think that I get an education so that I can get a good job. Once I get a good job, I have achieved my educational or or growth learning process. I can chill out now. All I need to do now is focus on this job and raising a quote-unquote raising a family, the whole white picket fence thing, which is basically just putting something up in your mind, which, which is bordering off your mind to further development, further thought, and embracing community and, and, and empowerment, period. So the problem, again, with that is because of linear thinking, the majority of us have defined ourselves and our roles in society as being uh, as being, you know, have been put in place by something outside of ourselves. So these roles and these parts that we play have, are in contradiction to Afrocentric thought, which is what Buddy is getting at. And when you're, dealing, when you're dealing with that contradiction, but yet you're operating in an organization that is supposed to be dealing with black empowerment, now you have a, a, a dynamic that, is, that you have to deal with. And I say that to say that no matter what organization, what, what fronts that we come from, we are all people. And so the idea is for us to expose, bring these principles out, and discuss them from the perspective of our listening audience to be able to realize that we have to take a holistic approach in building. We have to take a holistic approach in, 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 in becoming better human beings, better equipped so that we can take on these challenges, so that we can cooperate, so that we can unify, because that's what has to happen. But you can't unify 
if you're stuck in a linear path that has caused you to define yourself by somebody else's standards, define yourself by somebody else's perspective or somebody else's empowerment, but not your own empowerment. So that's why the 3Ds remain and always will remain important in terms of that process. Define, develop, and defend. That is, a, those are principles within the, the principles that we're talking about here. Another thing I want to say on that same note, and then and then I, I, I close up on this, is going back to that um, the, the the deal with the unity that uh, Brother Syke talked about in terms of the definition. I want to add this part. What we have to see again going into physics <laughs> is that the unity pulse is what generates the, a synchronization. The synchronization is the controlling sync or harmonic in which gives each conductor or person a pattern from which to operate. So when he talked about that whole electric slide thing, the deal is within that electric slide, what he was talking about is that who controlled that sync or that post that everybody was able to jump aboard and be a part of. Keep in mind, in the club scene, it's that DJ. The DJ spins that record. That record is being spent. He also jumps on the mic and helps entice and, 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 and draws in people onto the dance floor by one mean or another. As that music is playing in that certain pattern, that rhythmic pattern, and those harmonics are coming across, which is the beat. Again, we've talked about this from the weaponization standpoint in the past, how the beat becomes the carrier wave and, and the information that's on that carrier wave is irrelevant when you try to manipulate a population because everybody's caught up in the beat. So now everybody's doing electric slide or everybody could be dancing to something that's very derogatory in terms of, the, uh, of what's being perpetrated. But everybody's in sync what? With the beat. So here you go. You could potentially have as a undertone, you could potentially have all the lyrical part that comes out could be uh, something very derogatory or, or very detrimental in terms of your thought process, but because that sync or that harmonic is what's controlling the rhythm or the pulse of the people. The people are dancing, moving, or, or, or orchestrating to that, to that harmonic. Now, what's in that harmonic, that theater carry, that theater wave, which is the information that's being supplied is a whole different story. And that's what we're going back to. We have to get our people to recognize the weaponization of the harmonic, of the pulse, of the pattern. Because it's that pattern, it's that pulse, it's that sync, it's that harmonic that causes us to make the moves we make. And we think that it has to do with the information. The information is being broadcasted through these harmonics. But your body is in tune with the synchronization with that pulse. That's what causes you, that's what grasps your attention. So we have to be able to decipher and see through that disguise and get down to the meat of the information. This is why I say you have to embrace the process of growth. Because if we don't love to learn, then we will not grow. If we, if we look at learning as growing, building, like we always say, if we look at building as a, as a chore, as something I, I hate to do, then how do you put yourself in a position of empowerment? How do you put yourself in a position to where you can be in control of your own destiny? 
you can deal with the empowerment of the people. You can. It is mathematically. It, it goes against the law of physics. It goes against all natural laws, and it is a complete contradiction to think that you can achieve by somebody else's desire and that you can achieve if you want to be lazy, mentally lazy, and that you can apply brute and blunt force to everything you approach. Again, it goes against physics. It's an unnatural law. So psychologically, we have to get away from that same thing. With that, I turn it back over to Buddy. All right. Um, I want to give uh, Carla one last chance, have last words. Um, see if they can't get in. We're gonna wrap it up after this. Um, zero eight seven three. Are you there? All right. So I don't know if they're having technical difficulties or whatnot, but <clears throat> um, so yeah. Essentially, um, those are the seven principles. I want to appreciate everybody. Sykes, do you have anything you want to uh, chime in real quick? On any of the principles as we start to wrap it up? No, I think we made all the points. I think the talk now will be over talking. No doubt, no doubt. So that being said, um, thank everybody for, for coming out, showing up, spending your time with us, and let the music play. Everything starts from now. We all go down unless we stay together. Ain't no one man above the crew. You know that shit. The charge of violence against us actually stems from the guilt complex that exists in the conscious and subconscious minds of most white people in this country. They know that they've been violent in their brutality against Negroes. And they feel that someday the Negro is going to wake up and try and do unto them as they have done unto us. that there will come a time when black people wake up and become intellectually independent enough to think for themselves as other humans are intellectually independent enough to think for themselves, then the black man will think like a black man and he will feel for other black people. And this new thinking and feeling will cause black people to stick together and then at that point, you'll have a situation where when you attack one black man, you are attacking all black men. And this type of black thinking will cause all black people to stick together. And this type of thinking also will bring an end to the brutality inflicted upon black people by white people. And it is the only thing that will bring an end to it. No federal court, state court, or city court will bring an end to it. It's something that the black man has to bring an end to himself. Equality has nothing to do with whites. We, want e we don't want to be equal with the white man. He's not the criteria or yardstick by which equality is measured. He's not in a position to tell us we are equal. It's not his right. It's not his to do. The right and the ability to stand on this earth on some land uh, of our own and bring about a civilization and a society 
in which we will be completely independent, complete freedom to uh, uh, take care of the needs, to take care of the uh, wants and the likes and the dislikes of our people, to establish our own nation, our own society, our own heaven, our own future. This is what we mean by freedom. This can be brought about simply by letting our people be exposed to the truth about ourselves, about the white man, about our history and our condition in this country. And once we are exposed to the complete truth as things about things as they actually exist in this country, the masses of black people will choose complete separation from this entire system. And thereby we'll be able to solve our own problems ourselves and prove that we are human beings and a part of the human family and can do for ourselves what other humans have done for themselves. And then we'll be able to stop blaming the white man for what he has done and stop begging the white man to solve our problems. We'll be able to solve our problems ourselves. 